I'm going to introduce myself. I'm Andy. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, the other two elders are away. Everyone's away at the moment. There's not only Bank Holiday, but there's a couple, George and Emily, if you met them. Uh, they, they're getting married today over in Sidcup. Uh, and several of the young people thought to be with them. They got married there because that's where they came from before they joined us. So they already planned their wedding in Sidcup. So there's a bunch over there on top of everything else. But uh, pray they have a blessed day. Um, Today things might be a little bit different. I'm not going to talk for too long. You'll be relieved to hear. Um, because um, both for reasons of convenience, I'm losing my voice. That comes from yesterday shouting when I asked him on the FA Cup final 2-1. <laughs> Sorry, let's out, Jerry. I can't help it. Um, but I genuinely did lose my voice at the end just shouting and high-fiving some Polish guy next to me who said some stuff. I don't know what he said. But, but, <laughs> anyway, um, but I, want to, I want us to hear the Word of God today. I want to, I literally, I want us to hear it read out. So we're going to have some time when some people are going to read it to us. So I'm going to sort of do the first half. I'm going to share a bit about why, and then we're going to go into that. And we're just going to listen to the Word of God. We're going to listen to a letter, the letter of Ephesians, read out to you. Parts of it, big parts of it. I think it's worth hearing. Um, you know there's like a national day now for every conceivable thing? National day for everything. You just look at it. I mean, we've got the usuals. We've got Easter Sunday. Sundays are obviously very popular. Mothering Sunday, Father's Day on a Sunday. Adoption Sunday, that's a great one too. Many, many different Sundays. And I thought I'd better check, actually, as I was thinking about what I was going to bring today, whether there actually was for Lorraine a cat-related Sunday. I thought there can't be a cat-related Sunday. That would be a waste of a Sunday in my personal opinion. Yeah? But there is a, there is a Sunday. You'll be really to hear Lorraine. June the 4th was National Hug Your Cat Day. <laughs> Hug Your Cat Day. And I thought that's bad enough, but it doesn't actually stop there. There are five more. Here they are. You've got World Cat Day, International Cat Day, National Black Cat Appreciation Day, sorry, and National Feral Cats, not Tammy, Day. <laughs> And again, the National Black Cat Day. So they get an appreciation day and a day dedicated to them. So there's days for every single thing. Well, I want today to be remembered in our X1 diary as So What Sunday. This is So What Sunday. I want us to think about a bit of what we've been going through. So today for me is So What Sunday. And I'm going to address two big questions that actually um, are Jesus... So, and then for us, Ephesians, so. I'll explain as I go through it. These questions are for the, there's a question for those that don't follow Jesus. That's Jesus, so. And there's a question for us who follow Jesus. Ephesians, so. Because we've come to the end of our Ephesians series. We started this journey on the 30th of October last year. We start to look at, look at this book called Ephesians, which is actually a letter, uh, or called an epistle sometimes, which means a letter. And it is a letter written out. And for me, it's been one of the most formative and challenging um, times for us, myself, and us as a church. For some time, I think, it feels like we've been through something very significant in our walk. And if you haven't been around for it, if you've been away, you've missed something. I would encourage you to sit down and go back through YouTube and look at the ones you missed. And really think, what is God actually saying through this? Because it's been very formative. We've, and so I want us to put this to us today. We've chewed over it. We've read it through. We've explored six chapters. Not a huge book. 
but it's taken 22 <coughs> sermons to do it. This is the 22nd sermon and the last one on Ephesians. So after 22 Sundays given over to this six-chapter letter, which isn't actually in chapters, it's just a letter, we broke it into chapters <coughs> to make it easier to read. It's just a letter, which if you print it out, is about four pages, five pages of A4. It's not huge. But it is huge for the time, by the way. Writing letters back at the time of Paul, getting paper and then postage was incredibly expensive. Most letters were very, very short because of the cost. So when you look at Ephesians, it's quite an undertaking financially. You look at something like Colossians, it really is. These letters were significant things to write. You had to be sure you were going to do it with God's intention because it cost a lot of money to actually publish a letter in these days. But after 22 Sundays, so what? That's my question. There's two I want to deal with. So what, number one? But if you're a believer, that one about Jesus, so what? Please do not tune out. Because Paul starts his letter by trying to remind Christians that he believed may have forgotten just what it is you've been saved by and into. He wants to remind the Christians who have become a bit lackadaisical about their salvation. This is what it is. For the first three chapters of Ephesians, most of it is just, this is what's happened. But he's telling believers. He's writing to churches, so therefore they're not saying, well, that's new news. But he feels that potentially they may have forgotten exactly what glorious thing they've been saying to. But let's look at this, so what question, number one. Jesus, so what? So, before I jump in, just let me say this is an ordinary, it's called a general letter, which means it's not to address a specific problem, it's much more general than that. It's written to ordinary church members, the most ordinary conceivable is to be read out to the church, it's not a letter to leaders to read exclusively for them, it's a thing to be read out across the church. Some argue, and I trust their argument, that it actually wasn't written specifically to Ephesus, it was more like a circular letter written to several churches, which Ephesus was one. So potentially you could almost think insert name here, and it was to the saints in Ephesus, but there could have been others written to others because of its general nature. It wasn't written to pastors, preachers, specialists in Bible studies. It was written to be read out and spoken out to the, the ordinary person in the church. So it's, I, it's a treasure. It really is a treasure. It's for all of us. It's a gem of a letter. And perhaps it's worth clarifying once again, it's written to Christians. People who have received the gospel message and have believed, that song we just sung, the creed, they believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, that he died and rose again. That we're all sinners, we all fall short, none of us are good enough for God's glory, none of us can boast, which is a brilliant leveller. We can't boast about, I do this, I do that, so therefore I'm closer to God than anyone else. He declares that we all need saving from sin, every single one of us. If you're a clean cup, if you're a rough diamond, it doesn't matter. Jesus Christ comes to save everyone who sins and all sin. And they know that. And they declare that truth. Jesus comes and stands in our place as the one who shows what it means to be sinless. He lives this sinless life. Dies a sinless person, innocent, is sacrificed. Rises again like we just sung to show us what it is. That he has conquered the effects of sin, which is death, and he has ascended, and he is seated high in heaven. And then he sends down his Holy Spirit into Paul, then into the churches, into the apostles, into the disciples, to see the power of the gospel spread. That we might be life imitators, imitators of Jesus. And that's what he's writing to churches to remind them 
of what's happened, that they might be those imitators. Not so we become squeaky clean, judgmental and pious, look at how clean we are, but imitators of God who demonstrate love to everyone around them. And when we do that, people want to know who it is we're talking about. We can demonstrate Christ's love in our communities. The Christian life on earth is just one great big so what life. That's what I mean by Jesus, so what. So let me just try and explain why I think it's so important. Jesus died on a cross. It's a total fact. To deny he lived and he died through crucifixion, frankly, is beyond ignorant. The question should never be, was there a man in history who claimed to be the Messiah called Jesus who was crucified? That is a matter of absolute historical fact. If you deny that, you deny much more history because there's so much recording and evidence of it written and recorded by those who didn't want him to be who he was. The Romans didn't want him. They called it, they called it a troublemaking movement, but they didn't deny that it happened. And if you're still unsure, I would encourage you to look at some books. There's particular works. One classic, which we read many years ago, called He Walked Among Us, written by a cynical sort of guy raised in Christian surroundings that became cynical, non-Christian, was very critical of the church, decided he would disapprove God by, by just looking into all the facts. It, so he's in his university, he wanted to know, he wanted to get rid of the annoying, happy Christians by proving to them that God wasn't who he says he Jesus didn't walk the earth. So he just thought, if I could prove it, it will shut those happy, happy bunch in my university up. But he ended up stating this in his book, or in an interview with him about his book, which is called He Walked Among Us. Finally, I could come to the only one conclusion. If I were to remain intellectually honest, I have to admit that the Old and New Testament documents were some of the most reliable writings in all of antiquity. And if, the, and if they were reliable, what about this man, Jesus, whom I dismissed as a mere carpenter? It's a great book. There are many others. You want to make sure you're reading the good ones because there's a lot of stuff around. It's not so well researched. But the fact that he was determined to disprove and yet ended up proving. And that began his walk back to faith. By proving Jesus existed, he didn't find salvation. That's a different story. But the fact is he was looking to disprove Jesus and, and said, I cannot. I would be intellectually dishonest if I did. So the question has to be, all right, Jesus Christ walked this earth. So what? So what? And the answer to that is whether you believe that he was the son of God or essentially a lunatic or a liar. C.S. Lewis, who you know is probably from various books like Narnia, who was an incredible theologian, asked that question based on the undeniable fact that Jesus Christ walked this earth and claimed to be the Messiah, the one sent to set the captives free, the one sent to take sin from mankind and release the captives. He said if that's what he claimed to do, and he has to have claimed to do it, because history would not have done what it did, the Romans, etc., would not have recorded this troublesome movement had it not happened. So it happened. So what is he? Is he a lunatic? Is he a liar? Or is he the Lord's? There's only those, he said, those are the three things. And if you're someone still wrestling with that nagging question, is this Jesus that they rub it on about, really the answer, really a sacrifice for the sins of the lost, 
then either the answer is no, he's a lunatic, therefore he was mad. Because to claim that, you have to do mad. Or he's a liar. And he's the greatest liar in all of history, because currently 2.2 billion people on this earth believe it to be true. 2.2 billion people declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord on this earth today. And in history, it's been bigger than that. And that's just now. 2.2 billion people have been deceived and lied to by the most cunning of liars ever. That would be your conclusion. Or yes, yes, he's God. And then any issues you might have about miracles, healing, was he resurrected? Whatever becomes, they become very secondary to the fact that if he's not a lunatic and he's not a liar, he could be God. Then trust me, God can raise the dead. God created the universe. God can speak life into a corpse. God can turn water into wine. God can do anything God chooses. Therefore, if he's not a lunatic, if he's not a liar, he's Lord. Stop worrying about whether he turned fed 5,000. Worry whether he actually resurrected. He's God. And God can do anything. So you have to choose which one is he going to be. Lunatic, liar, or Lord. I tell you, I had the same view once upon a time. I thought he was a liar, probably. That everyone was just falling for this trick. What trick? There's been things in history that last a year or two. This has lasted 2,000 years and affected 2.2 billion. I owe it to myself to look at him closer. I looked at him closer. At 21. 21, I was at my coolest. The least likely to need church and funkiest too, Jess. But, you know, I was at my coolest. And I was kind of my probably most worldly kind of, I had a good job, good surroundings, was DJ, etc, etc, band, so quite, you know, in the course, the places, right. So why did I need him? Because it bothered me that he's, I think he's a liar and he's deceived my mum. And she's become a Christian, silly woman. I went to church, reluctantly, started asking questions, looked closer, closer, I looked to myself. He's Lord. He is Lord. Jesus, so what? Lunatic, liar, or Lord? You decide. That's the big so what Jesus question. On to so what number two then. Ephesians, so what? We're going to look at the letter a bit more today. We're going to look at it quite overview quickly. I'm just going to talk about it for about five minutes, and then we're actually going to hear it read right out. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to just, sorry, pause for a second. I'm going to make an appeal at the end. We should do it more often, perhaps. Decide. Lunatic, liar, or Lord. If you think he might be Lord, we'd love to pray with you. If you're struggling sometimes with things, you think that the miracles and all that stuff really troubles me, I kind of get that, all that mystical, magical stuff. Why would it trouble you if he is God, he is Lord? And we'll pray with you too, the prayer team here. We'll pray for you that are doubting because you're struggling with things that Jesus did. And we'll pray with those who say, he's not Lord, but I'm now wondering, could he be? I'd love to pray with you again. Please hold up, don't walk away and grab a coffee when you could receive Jesus Christ as Lord. We will do that at the end. I don't want to miss the opportunity to just put that out there. 
So we're going to go back into the letter. We're going to ask this question. I've asked it myself of recently, having looked at this particular letter, Ephesians. So what? Ephesians, so what? I could also say scripture, so what? 22 sermons, we've been looking at one letter, so what? I mean, so what? Paul has written what Lloyd-Jones described as Paul's crowning achievement. Lloyd-Jones studies, he's an interesting uh, theologian. I listened to him this week, I've never listened to him before, but Peter and Jill used to tell him he sounds really funny. He does, doesn't he? Oh, we can now look at the mail together. Like that, it's like, oh, I've got to sit for 45 minutes of this. It sounds like a BBC impression. So yes, I did this, but it's still great to listen to. Have a listen once you get used to his voice. I mean, they're old recordings, but he, he studied Ephesians and wrote many, I mean, like this many books on it. It's a huge stack of books. And he, they, he said it's called Crowning Achievement. And he said, um, he described it as the irreducible minimum, which means the minimum a Christian should be, the bare minimum we should be, is caught in Ephesians. That's the most basic outline of what we should follow and believe. And um, it's written to those who have answered question number one. Jesus, so what? They've already answered, Lord. And he's writing, Paul is writing to them. So if he's Messiah, and we receive him as such, the so what is now, yes, I'm saved, and saved through nothing of my own doing. That's what the chapters one to three really cover of this letter. The next question is, so what? So how do I react to that? What should I do? What should I not do? And that's what four to six of the letter covers. And then it says at the end, towards the end of that, oh, by the way, get ready for a battle. Because this is going to be a struggle. Because we're going to tell you what you should do, and there's an enemy that wants you not to do it. So there's going to be a battle. Get ready for it. And um, it's a letter which, if we let it, it shapes our lives. It impacts an entire culture, as it has done. It impacts our church. It impacts your workplace. It impacts the school that you might go to. It impacts your circle of friends. It's a letter which, if we act upon it, changes the world. And that's not an exaggeration, because it did. The Ephesian church is one of a few small churches that exploded and have been part of this incredible history. These letters were written to not mega churches. They were churches in the, in the early formations. No, I don't think we actually know quite how big the Ephesian church was when this was written. But when Paul visited them before, which is in the book of Acts, if you want to see it, there was 12, really. 12. And then it gets a bit bigger, and they write letters in this eventually, and you put it with the churches in Corinth and others. And suddenly, this global explosion of Christianity, which has affected 2.2 billion people today, is written to a small church. So it can change the world, and it has changed the world, and it will change the world. It's not an exaggeration. When I spoke about the sword of the Spirit um, in the Ephesians series, we looked at the armour of God. It's the Word of God. It says the sword of the Spirit, which is from the Spirit, is the Word of God, the Scripture. It has to be authoritative in our lives, or we're going to struggle so much in our walk. We'll become self-serving, but not God-glorifying. And remember, the sword, the Roman sword, is two-edged. I tried to hold one, but let me down. Try. I wanted to hold a sword. I'll show you. So you have to imagine. Look at my hand as a Roman sword. They're about this long. They're not like the great big knights ones. To do their close combat, their close combat. That's the that's message. The word, the message of God is for close combat. It's not for you're me. It's actually for I need to talk, you know. So close combat, that longish, double-sided, sharp on both sides. Which means when you're holding it up, 
at someone or something, it's also pointing back at you too. The blame is on both sides. Whatever we're saying to others about what they need to do, it points back at us too. It asks us sometimes what we need to do. And James, which is a great biblical book, takes on the whole principle of what it is when you read scripture and you act upon it. And in particular, I'll just grab three powerful verses. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Some other translations would say that, being foolish. But if anyone is a hearer of the word and is not a doer, he's like a man who intently, who looks intently at his, na- his natural face in the mirror, so looks intently at the word of God, looks at himself, goes away and wants to get what he's like. So I look at the word of God, I read it, and then I walk away, and I do nothing at all that it says. Or 2 Timothy, which is another one which just reminds all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There is things to do, and he wants to equip us, he equips us through the word. The Christian life is not one where we receive Jesus and then we look to just ignore him. We look to learn so much more about him. If we receive him, we want to understand who is this God that sent him, what's it all about, and it's in the Bible, and it's in Ephesians, which is a very comprehensive and general letter that deals with those questions. So I'm going to do something different with the remaining time. I know this might be a bit different from what people expect. Trust me, I've talked over this as much as I would normally. I had my notes in my bag at the FA Cup final, which are also one to one. Um, I was handwriting on it during half time because I wanted to get ready, and I finished at half past one this morning getting ready, but most of what I want to get ready for is to just listen and hear the word of God read So I know that's different. I don't want this to sound like something that's going on for a sit or someone read. I want us to be ready for what God's saying. So when it's being read, you think, so what? And I will do some very brief so what's, as brief as I need to be in order that we get out of time. Before I start, let me pray. Claire, if you want to come up, we'll be ready for you. Father, I pray that as we hear the word of God read out, and we briefly just say so what, that it is continually shaping us, that we listen differently as a people who are interested now to say, what is it that it says? What is it that it declares? What is it saying to me? That we will be those that listen and we will hear and we will do. There's nothing that I can do as a teacher of the word that is better than hearing the word itself. I will expound it, I will do my best to bring it true, but at times we just need to hear it. So as we hear it, Father, when I pray that by your spirit you will take it into us and it will become more formative than it has and we will move forward in it. In Jesus' name. Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, 
according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave his, him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, to the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here, just just stop and hear sick of the letter just read out straight. It is just such an exciting there's a strong thread in Ephesians. It's a call to action. It reveals God's plan. That tone to my ear is something of get excited. Don't just sit there. Listen to what's happened. Listen to what authority's been in place. You're gonna to need to do something. That's the kind of letter it is. And there's a risk that we rush into doing things that always seem so godly. We need to pause sometimes to consider what's the, the big plan. I'm part of a huge story. All authority is being given over to Jesus. The church is part of this huge plan. What's the master plan? What's the mission that we're called into? And Ephesians 1 is just, that's dripping with that. God has a plan. He's executing that plan. And he's doing it through the church. Not an establishment of church, but people gathered. We are the church. We're the instruments in that divine, incredible plan where all authority is given to Christ. And he is head over this church. That's why we're called Christ first. He is the head of this church. 
Now you might get a little bit offended here because it's a divine plan. And we have to accept that our instruction is to know what his mind is. We are in too many ways. We need to do as we are told sometimes. And the scripture sometimes tells us what to do. If you think, well, no, I'd like to be my own person. Now, sometimes scripture says, this is what you need to do. You need to understand that God has all authority over all things. Romans 12 says, it's one of my favorite verses, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. We are to try and know, not know God's mind, but understand what his will is. What does he want to happen? Beloved, we know the mission. We know what his will is. The ultimate will of God is to restore mankind back to him. To unite all things in him. To bring us all back to relationship with him. That's why he said, Jesus, Paul is saying you've already received your salvation. Never forget that truth. Keep pressing in to love it more and enjoy it more. The riches of your inheritance, the hope that you'll call so that you might shine it out to be part of the mission, which is to restore everything back to him. Because currently it is not with God. The big so what Ephesians 1, there's a plan. And we, the church, are to realise what we've inherited, salvation from sin, freedom, and we continually to seek, seek to live our lives in the revelation of that, the joy of that. We were once far off, now we're near with God. And the plan is just like us, to bring as many, everyone, everything, back to him once again. That is his will. That is God's will. And we want to be part of that. Father God, I pray that we will want to be part of that, that you are intending to restore things back to you, and that we will be part of that. Father, let us in this nation and the nations that we are part of, be those that are eager to see people restored back to relationship with you. That if that was our focus and we knew it as your will, a lot of other things might go to the side that are currently front of mind and of our concern and are distracting us from that, your will to restore people back to you, to seek and save the lost for our inheritance Give us the loss. Amen. Alright, so we're going to quickly go through a few more. Mostly just to hear them now. Hannah. Hey, Hannah. Hannah's going to read to you Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. And then stay up and then I'll say something interesting to read another. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, and by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, God, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what? 
Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. We are not to judge a single person's worthiness of becoming Christian. Every single one of us was a son of disobedience and a child of wrath. In case you're not a Christian today and you're wondering, are you good enough? Are you good enough? Let me be 100% clear. Yes, you are good enough because none of us were. No matter what you've done, you're not too far gone. Come to Jesus. Come receive the bread of life. To the Christians, this means getting in amongst all people. This is the work of God. God has called us to this work and to be prepared for. In amongst the poor, the homeless, the outcast, the drunks, the drunk, the religiously different, the immoral, the greedy and the corrupt rich. Just like Jesus did. We will not judge but we will show compassion and a love that baffles the world. It expects us to reject them and we don't. Because we're no better in God's eyes than he made us one with Christ. He made us, he lifted us up with him. We were lost in sin. We needed a saviour. We all need a saviour. And we were raised together in Christ. Father God, will we be those who never decide who and who should receive your gift of salvation. Let's never be frightened to spend time amongst those that are not like us in order to share the good news. Your son sat with prostitutes and basically loan sharks in order to share himself with them. Father God, we learn from your word that we are we're all far off. And we should be able to speak to anyone, anywhere, anytime about the good news. Amen. Hannah. Story to Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is, to, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power of work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We need his strength. Thank you so much. We need his strength. This is what it said. We need his strength. It's not easy to remain faith-filled in this world. The Christian life is tough. The life in general is tough, and we see things going on around us. When we become self-sufficient, we just keep moving the furniture around rather than realising the issue is actually with our walk. It's not the church or our small group or whatever. It's that we don't look to the Spirit enough when we feel low, dry or separated. We don't ask for His strength. We simply pray for the solution that we require, not the strength to endure whatever we're facing. The strength that helps us understand that God's love is eternal. And we can keep going because he has an eternal perspective. He may not answer the prayer today. He may not answer the next week, the month, the years, the decade even. But he has a plan. It's a work in us. We need to sometimes stay strong. And we need his strength to do it because it's not easy. That's faith. That we trust in God. What is unseen because his plan is not quick fixes. His plan is eternal. Father God, pray for us. That we would look to your strength. That we would be a people who look to your strength in order that we might 
continue in faith against difficult times. It's why you gave us an arm, armor, you warned us. Later, we won't do that today. You warned us that there will be difficulties to come. There is a battle. Father, I pray that we are people of endurance, perseverance, faithfulness, long-standing in the calling, Father. That we would trust that in the end you make all things good. We will not stop desiring things to be resolved here, now, on this earth. We will be impatient, I am sure. But we will never lose patience with you because ultimately you have saved all of us, all things, and you have put all things right. In Jesus' name. We're going to do one more. I was going to do a few more, but you've got a Bible and you can read it too. Peter Wiles. I'm asking him to come up, and he's going to read half of the letters to the Ephesians number four. This is the transitional moment in the story. I'm going to say very little after this, because we're kind of done. I don't want to over-egg it, but we're going to read uh, Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. One last, sorry the uh, words were all up on the screen there, but that, in fact, that wouldn't have happened either. We would just heard it read out, and maybe that was a poignant way to end. So what? Part of the plan is that we are a people of peace. Eager to stay in peace with one another. It is a witness. So equally a divided church, bickering people is in reverse. It's an anti-witness. All of 1 to 3 of Ephesians focuses on the positive things. 
But it gets challenging in chapter 4. It's basically saying, now you've learned. I therefore, we often say, we need to figure out what the therefore is there for. Therefore, you've learned about Christ. You know about Christ. You have no excuse. Put away all your falsehood. Speak truth. Stop lying. Stop stealing. And listen to those sent to teach you. It's a turnaround point in Ephesians that says, claim to be a Christian, but act the same as the world does, then you grieve God. You grieve the Spirit, because I've revealed truth to you, and you're thumbing your nose, is the politest way I can say it. Thumbing your nose back at me, saying, I heard you, but it makes no difference to me. You're immature, you're vulnerable, you're, you're open to human cunning. You're vulnerable to chit-chats that destroy friendships and destroy church relationships. There's a line that ends with it that says this later in this chapter. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And it ends with this, and this is where I want to end. This is what the church is, I hope, and what it should be. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you. For your work. We thank you for the book, the letter of Ephesians, and the many letters, and the Old Testament where it taught us about your heart and your wrath, and then the New Testament about your love and your forgiving heart that was prophesied so long before that you would come and deliver a Saviour in Jesus Christ for us, that we might be set free from sin. Father, let us be those who are so excited and obsessed with what the first half of Ephesians says. We are desiring to do as you tell us. To be a people of kind-hearted, loving, forgiving, tender, soldiers battle-ready, but full of love for the lost in our nation and the nations across this world. For Cairo, which is a huge city, full of those who don't know anything about you, we pray that the hearts of those there will be for the lost there. But Father, too, Watford is a big town with thousands of people lost. Will we have a heart for them, no matter where they are in life? Father, would you use Ephesians to shape us as a people of peace, a people of love, a people prepared, quick-footed with the gospel to share it whenever we can and ready for the fact that that will cause resistance, literally and supernatural resistance, that as we are determined to grow in you, there is an enemy that wants to push us down, but you have given us armour. You have called us into your plan and your plan is perfect and it will be fulfilled. We have no doubts. Because if you are God, if you are God and your Son was Lord and you are Lord with Him, then we know that what you said will come to pass. That one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, I hope Ephesians has helped shape you. If it hasn't, then go back and just read it and ask God to help and shape you. If you're someone who's struggling, if you want to come up today, there'll be a prayer team at the front, including me, just ready to pray with you. I'm really struggling with that question as he moves to the Lord and I want to be prayed for when he reveal himself to be his Lord to me. We'd love to pray that prayer. If you're someone who's also struggling with the fact that there's so many little stumbling blocks of Christianity that are causing trouble, but if he's Lord, they can't, he must be able to do all those things because he created the universe. So why would I worry about water into wine or raising sick people or raising the dead? Why would I worry about that? What is, 
You can't, in my mind, give me trouble with that. We'll pray for you too. 